read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Congresswoman Deborah Ross of North Carolina's 2nd U.S. House District has experienced a lot of remarkable and unprecedented events in just three years in the nation's capital, including the January 6th insurrection, the pandemic, a rapid national economic recovery, two chaotic House Speaker elections, and most recently the expulsion of a corrupt member. Through it all, however, Ross has been a remarkably calm, coherent, and effective voice, both for championing progressive policies and building bipartisan bridges whenever possible. And earlier this week, she took a few minutes from her hectic schedule to share her thoughts on some of the latest developments in Washington and Raleigh, as well as her plans for seeking re-election in 2024. Well, Congresswoman Deborah Ross, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Always good to be with you, Ralph. So there's so much I want to ask. Why don't we start with, we have yet another speaker leading the House these days. We're looking at the possibility of another debate over a government shutdown once you get back in January. So are you any more optimistic uh, with this new leadership and where they seem to be headed, or is it sort of more of the same? It's been a chaotic term, let's just say that. And I think the mainline message is that every time we need to do something to keep government open, to work for the people, to do the people's business, it's taken Democratic votes to do that. And so we did that, of course, with the debt limit. Then we did it with making sure we had a continuing resolution to keep the government from shutting down. And then we did it yet again, right after uh, Speaker Johnson was sworn in as our second speaker of this session. And so what I'm optimistic about is that the Democrats will always do the right thing and be willing to do bipartisan work to put people over politics. I'm not optimistic about the Republican conference, because as the American people have seen, uh, the extreme wing of the Republican conference is asking for things that hurt the American public, including threatening Social Security and Medicare, women's reproductive rights, the environment, and it's never good enough for the extreme wing of the Republican conference to the point where they can't even get appropriations bills that make draconian cuts passed on the House floor. So we may have a continuing resolution again. We may revert to the deal that was made when we raised the debt limit. We may vote for the bipartisan bills um, that come over from the Senate. Any of those things is on the table. What I am certain of is that if we put real appropriations packages that help our people, that make sure that our military gets paid, that make sure that we continue to invest in the environment, that make sure we preserve Social Security and Medicare, that we have enough votes in a bipartisan way to get those bills through the House. And it's really the chaos of the Republican conference that has kept us from doing the people's business. Another remarkable set of affairs that you, state of affairs that you've had to deal with in recent days is, of course, the expulsion of a member of Congress. This has only happened a tiny handful of times in the history of the United States. Tell us about the expulsion of George Santos. 
Well, I serve on the House Ethics Committee, uh, not by choice, but by appointment. And I will tell you that the House Ethics Committee did a thorough investigation of the Santos matter over more than nine months, tens of thousands of documents, many interviews. We produced a report more than 50 pages long, plus footnotes. And in a bipartisan way, we released that report to the House for action. And what it showed was a series, actually a a planned and orchestrated series of not only ethics violations, but legal violations. Now, of course, the Justice Department has already indicted Mr. Santos. Some of his former aides have already pleaded guilty. But many of the things that we addressed are not in the jurisdiction of the Justice Department. And not only was evidence found of violations, but just simply not cooperating with the committee. And so it was, again, bipartisan decision to expel George Santos. I don't take this lightly at all. Um, I believe that everyone deserves due process. However, after they've had this opportunity over many, many months, when the evidence is clear, it's important for the voters, for the institution, and for our democracy that we move on. And that is what the House decided to do when I voted to expel Mr. Santos. Were you surprised there were a couple of Republican members from North Carolina who voted to keep him around, even uh, Representative Bishop, who wants to be our next attorney general? I wonder, you don't have to comment on that, but I wondered if you have any thoughts on All I can say is what I read in the paper, which is he believes that we needed to have a criminal conviction before doing that. Um, That is not the ethics standard, because again, there's a criminal proceeding going on right now, and we were in charge of different things. And so um, the ethics committee is in charge of, you know, campaign finance, a bunch of other um, filing issues, and then other ethics issues that come up. And so um, Mr. Bishop is entitled to his opinion. Actually, I think there were one or two members of the Democratic um, caucus that agreed with that. But this was not simply one or two violations. These were serial planned violations of ethics, of filing, uh, fraud, a wide variety of things. Your, uh, Your listeners can read the report and get the full flavor. We're talking with Congresswoman Deborah Ross, who represents North Carolina's 2nd Congressional District in the United States House of Representatives. On a more hopeful note, you recently got a couple of bipartisan amendments advanced on what sounds kind of like a technical issue, but I bet you could explain it to folks. It has to do with quantum computing and, and keeping our electric grid actually up and running and more resilient under the stresses that will no doubt endure in months and years ahead. Talk to us about this, this amendment. Even more important than the amendment, though, of course, I love the amendment, um, (laughs) is advancing quantum computing. And there was an article in the paper today talking about how both Duke and NC State are at the forefront of quantum computing. If people want to know what quantum computing is, it's basically 
faster, better, stronger computing um, to process data so that um, we can get the results that we need in a wide variety of ways. I've visited a quantum computing lab, which is pretty cool, getting to wow. see inside of the computer. And that's really amazing. But what we know for our electric grid is we're now getting our electricity from a wide variety of sources. And there are, um, you know, situations like we had last Christmas, where certain sources of electricity aren't working, we have to get alternative sources of electricity, all of that is programmed and, and taken care of by computers and automated systems. And quantum computing can help anticipate potential problems. Quantum computing can help integrate a variety of different kinds of resources so that if one resource doesn't work, another one can. It can make sure that there's economic dispatch, which means you use the most economically efficient resources at the right time. And so it's a real tool for a more complex electric grid than we've ever had. Um, you know, in the past, we've had just Right. One kind of electricity coming from one place. Right. And right now there are a lot of different options which can make it more complicated, but it also can make us more resilient because mm -hmm. if one type of electricity is not available, another one can quickly be dispatched. And so we need more creativity and um, no pun intended, more power. Mm -hmm behind how we get our power and quantum computing is part of that. Yeah, and no doubt, hopefully, will aid us in making the electric grid even more sustainable when it comes to the, the natural environment. Another positive development lately, not in Congress, but here in North Carolina, something you've fought for for a long, long time, and that's Medicaid expansion. It finally, at long last, became a reality on December 1. You must have some good feelings about having played a role in making that happen. It really warms my heart. I served in the state house when the state house voted against expanding Medicaid. And that's when I gave my fear and loathing speech um, <laughs> on the house floor. And of course, I voted against the, the bill that said that we wouldn't expand Medicaid. And the state and many of our people have suffered as a result of that law, but the legislature saw the error of its ways in part because they heard from their own people, but in part because Congress created a really nice approximately $2 billion sweetener <laughs> for non-expansion states that would expand. And so the legislature finally did the right thing. December 1st, the ability to to start enrolling in Medicaid um, came up for about 600,000 people. This is going to save lives. And it's going to help with our health care costs overall, because we know that people who can't afford health insurance frequently just do not pay for their health insurance, or they don't pay for the care that they get. And then those costs get passed on to us through higher premiums and higher charges through our healthcare providers. So having Medicaid pay for these 600,000 people over time will bring down costs. It will save rural hospitals, but most importantly, it will make our citizens healthier and save lives. 
it's really, really a long-awaited moment and real happiness for a lot of people. I will get you out of here on this. We're talking with Congresswoman Deborah Ross and coming to the end of our time. But as we record this, it's the first day of filing period uh, for the 2024 election. We know we have new congressional districts in North Carolina, new gerrymandered congressional districts, but uh, it looks like your district is still one that you will want to represent. Talk to us about redistricting and our expectation that you'll be seeking office again next year. Well, I do plan to file for re-election this week, but our redistricting process is simply broken. Um, it's extreme partisan gerrymandering, trying to lock in a Republican majority in a supermajority even in the state legislature, and then have a majority of Republicans in Congress. And that's simply wrong. It deprives people of their opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice. It doesn't reflect the pretty much 50-50 nature of North Carolina. And it creates a real imbalance in terms of serving all of our people. And unfortunately, both the U.S. Supreme Court and our state Supreme Court are allowing extreme partisan gerrymandering. And there's only one way to remedy that, and that's for people to get out and vote no matter what, and to vote at higher rates than they've ever voted before and have some surprises along the way. I will be, like I said, hopefully serving again in the next Congress. Hopefully we will be able to get the John Lewis Voting Rights Act through both houses of Congress then and have a federal statutory solution to this problem. I've been working on voting rights for decades and I will not stop. It's a matter of fairness, it's a matter of justice, and it's a matter of having voters' voices heard. I wish you all the best. Keep giving them heck there in Washington. Thank you for your service. Thanks for being with us. And I'm sure we'll catch up early in 2024 looking forward to it. Have a great holiday. Coming up next, we'll hear from North Carolina's Deputy Secretary of Juvenile Justice about some of the most important steps we can take to keep our kids safe. Don't go away. <laughs> 